I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Well, what does a guy do when he's on furlough for the second time in a row? Uh, you worry. And I've been worrying, because I can't lose this job. I have this house, I've got bills, i got a little bit of debt. Uh, if I lost my job, uh, I'd have to move in with my one remaining parent. So that'd be pretty bad. Not just for me, but mainly for them. Because all I do is sit in the whatever bedroom they let me sit in, just talk to myself out loud. Because I do this all the time. Not just for a podcast, I do this constantly. So, I was thinking, oh, this is worrying. But they said, oh, Glenn, you're so important. You're, we're going to call you back. You might not do your full furlough. And I said, oh, goody, goody. I can have job security. So I checked in today, being the third day of uh, furlough. And I said, uh, you need me back, fellas? Having a tough life without me, and they, they said no. We're doing fine. Uh, just keep doing what you're doing. So that sucks. So how do you bury your feelings? Uh, you bury your feelings when you're 46 years old, living in Midwestern America. You, you do yard work. And you get all zen with it. So I've been doing a lot of yard work, a lot of pruning of things, mowing of stuff, and. Uh, I rented a giant dumpster to get put in my driveway so that I can tear up part of a deck <clears throat> that I have that hasn't been doing so well. But it's got a, a problem. I always, my flies. I got flies in the basement. I got mice sometimes. And I thought, oh, they're all coming in from under the deck. So I tore up the deck, got all in the dumpster, and I saw a giant crack in the foundation. Huge. I could stick my fingers in there and I could feel the cold air from the air conditioning in the house coming out through it. So that was pretty big. So I got all that sealed up and uh, pretty happy, pretty darn happy with myself. And uh, But the area underneath the deck is just all old, gross, dead dirt. And uh, I was sort of digging it up, trying to get it ready to get some grass to grow there. And as I was digging it up and stuff, I was finding all sorts of old archaeology things. I was finding old forks. Uh, for some reason, two forks, so that's a little alarming. And I found wrappers, uh, uh, a lot of pens and pencils for some reason. Uh, that apparently fell through. But this deck, I realized, has is around 40 years old or so because I found a Mr. Donut Cup, which for people that don't live in America uh, or maybe the Midwest of America, Mr. Donut was a a famous donut shop that was around, and they, they specialized in donuts and coffee. So all the, uh, the old stereotypes of cops getting donuts and coffee kind of came from Mr. Donut. I found one underneath my deck, and they, they went out of business like in the late 70s or early 80s. And it was there. And the best part is styrofoam never dies. Any piece of styrofoam that fell down there stayed there as pristine as if it was dropped yesterday. And this Mr. Donut cup was made of styrofoam with a logo, and it was looking amazing. 
So, that was a pathetic story for me to tell, but let's dive into the story. Well, let's learn about the author. Uh, we're going to go with uh, from the whatthefact.com, which is clearly translated from Japanese or something. Uh, number eight, his possessions. Wait, no, I did that last time. Number nine, securing his first job. He wrote, quote, the celebrated jumping frog of Calvarez County in 1865, which gave him huge success and also gave him permanent job with Sacramento Union. Well, that was not exciting. That's, they always have related posts over here on the right side of the page, so uh, ooh, let's look at Dr. Seuss. Uh, yeah, we'll go with awards galore for Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss... Uh, was the winner of various awards, including Academy Awards, which he has won twice, and even the Emmy Awards, which has been accredited to him twice. Then, the prestigious Pulitzer Prize Peabody Award and Laura Ingalls Wilder Award. Now, there you go. Beautifully worded. And uh, let's move on to the next chapter of this book. So, we're going to read more than one chapter, because these babies are so short and punchy. Thing I love about this author, uh, if you could strip out all the racial stuff, uh, he's a very good writer. And also, being a good writer, he uh, writes short and punchy little chapters. Very easy to digest and easy for a man like me to read on a podcast. But... Podcast gets way too short, so I'm going to read two chapters in a row, and uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, chapter 9. At half past 9 that night, Tom and Sid were sent to bed as usual. They said their prayers, and Sid was soon asleep. Tom lay awake and waited in restless impatience. When it seemed to him that it must be nearly daylight, he heard the clock. Strike ten! Exclamation point. This was despair. He would have tossed and fidgeted, and his nerves demanded. But he was afraid he might wake Sid. So he lay still and stared up into the dark. Everything was dismally still. By and by, out of the stillness, uh, little, scarcely perceptible noises began to emphasize themselves. Uh, the ticking of the clock began to bring itself into notice. Old beams began to crack mysteriously. The stairs creaked faintly. Evidently, spirits were abroad. A measured, muffled snore issued from Aunt Polly's chamber, and now the tiresome chirping of a cricket that no human ingenuity could locate began. Next, the ghastly ticking of the death watch in the wall at the bed's head made Tom shudder. It meant that somebody's days were numbered. Then the howl of a far-off dog rose into the night air and was answered by a fainter howl from a remoter distance. Tom was in agony. At last, he was satisfied that time had ceased and eternity begun, and he began to doze in spite of himself. The clock chimed eleven, but he did not hear it, and then there came, mingling with the half-formed dreams, a most melancholy caterwauling. 
the raising of a neighboring window disturbed him. A cry of scat, ah, you devil! And the crash of an empty bottle against the back of his aunt's woodshed brought him wide awake. And a single minute later, he was dressed and out of the window and creeping along the roof of the L, that's in quotes, on all fours. I don't know what an L is. Eh, we can try and look it up. Let's see what happens. A former measure of length. Mainly used for textiles. Well, that was stupid. He meowed with caution once or twice. As he went, then jumped to the roof of the woodshed and thence to the ground. Huckleberry Finn was there. Oh, I forgot all about this. That's right, they were supposed to meet up at night. With his dead cat. The boys moved off and disappeared in the gloom. At the end of half an hour, they were wading through the tall grass of the graveyard. It was a graveyard of the old-fashioned western kind. I was on a hill, about a mile and a half from the village. It had a crazy board fence around it, which leaned inwards in places and outwards the rest of the time, but stood upright nowhere. Grass and weeds grew rank over the whole cemetery. All the old graves were sunken in. There was not a tombstone on the place. Uh, Round-topped, warm, worm-eaten boards staggered over the graves, leaning for support and finding none. Quote, sacred to the memory of, and -and so-and-so had been painted on them once, uh, but no longer had been read for most of them now, even if there had been light. A faint wind moaned through the trees. Tom feared it might be the spirits of the dead, complaining of being disturbed. Now, the boys talked little, they only under only under their breath, for the time and the place and the pervading solemnity of the silence oppressed their spirits. They found the sharp new heap they were seeking, and ensconced themselves within the protection of the great elms that grew in a bunch within the, a few feet of the grave. Then they waited in silence. For what seemed a long time, the hooting of a distant owl was all the sound that troubled their dead stillness. Tom's reflections grew... Uh, oppressive. He must force some talk, so he said in a whisper, Eh, eh, Hacky, do you believe the dead people like it for us to be here? Yeah, Huckleberry whispered. I wish I'd known. It's an awful solemn, like, ain't it? I bet it is. There's considerable pause while the boys canvassed the matter inwardly. Then Tom whispered, Say, Hucky, uh, do you reckon Hoss Williams Williams <laughs> hears us talking? Oh, of course he does. At least his spirit does. That's spirit with S-P-E-R-R-I-T. Tom, after a pause, I wish I'd said Mr. Williams. Yeah, but I never meant any harm. Everybody calls him Hoss. Well, the body can't be too uh, particular how they talk about these you're dead people, Tom. This... Oh, as a damper. Uh, the conversation died again. Presently, Tom seized the comrade's arm and said, Shh! What is it, Tom? And the two clung together with beating hearts. Shh! There it is again. Didn't you hear it? Aye, there it is. Now you hear it? Lord, Tom, they're coming. They're coming, sure. What'll we do? I don't know. Think they'll see us? Oh, Tom. <laughs> they can see that I gotta say that more often when I'm hanging out with people like my friend Corey like ah oh, Corey uh, they can see in the dark same as cats I wish and I had come oh don't be afraid I don't believe they'll bother us uh, we ain't doing any harm if we keep perfectly still maybe they won't notice us at all I'll try to Tom but lord I'm all of a shiver listen 
The boys bent their heads together and scarcely breathed. The muffled sound of voices floated up from far end of the graveyard. Look, see there, whispered Tom. What is it? It's devil fire. Oh, Tom, this is awful. Some vague figures approached through the gloom, swinging an old-fashioned tin lantern that freckled the ground with innumerable little spangles of light. Presently, Huckleberry whispered with a shudder. It's the devil, sure enough. Three of them. Lordy, Tom, we're goners. Can, can you pray? I'll try. Don't you be afeard. They ain't going to hurt us. Now, I lay me down to sleep. I shh. What is it, Huck? Oh, they're humans. One of them is, anyways. One of them's old Muff Potter's voice. No, it taint so, is it? I bet I know it. Don't you stir nor budge. He ain't sharp enough to notice us. Drunk, same as usual, likely. Blamed old Rip. All right, I'll keep still. Now they're stuck. Can't find it. Here they come again. Oh, now they're hot. Cold again. Hot again. Ah, red hot. They've pinted right this time. Say, Huck, I know another of them voices. It's Injun Joe. Oh, this is going to go south. That's so, that murdering half-breed. Oh, God, here we go. I'd rather they were the devils a dern sight. What kin they be up to? The whisper died wholly out now, for the three men had reached the grave and stood within a few feet of the boy's hiding place. Uh, here it is, said the third voice, and the owner of it held a lantern up and revealed the face of young Dr. Robinson. Potter and Injun Joe were carrying a hand barrow with a rope and a couple of shovels on it. They cast down their load and began to open the grave. The doctor put the lantern at the head of the grave and came and sat there with his back against one of the elm trees. He was so close the boys could have touched him. <clears throat> Hurry, men, he said in a low voice. The moon might come out at any moment. Yeah, they growled in response and went on digging. For some time there was no noise but the grating sound of the spades discharging their freight of mold and gravel. It was monotonous. Finally a spade struck upon the coffin with a dull woody accent, and within another minute or two, yeah, the men had hoisted it out of the ground. Oh, they pried off the lid with their shovels and got out the body and dumped it rudely on the ground. Oh, gross. The moon drifted from behind the clouds and exposed the pallid face. The barrow was got ready in the corpse placed in it, covered with a blanket, and bound in its place with a rope. Potter took out a large spring knife and cut off the dangling end of the rope and then said, Now the cuss thing's ready. Sawbones. And you'll just out uh, with another five, or here she stays. That's the talk, said Injun Joe. Uh, look here, what does that mean, said the doctor. You required your pay in advance and I paid you. Oh, mother of God. I let the cat come down to the basement here with a little uh, podcast studio, and now apparently he's getting into crap. Yes, and you've done more than that, said Injun Joe, approaching the doctor, who was now standing. Five years ago, you drove me away from your father's kitchen one night when I come to ask for something to eat, and you said I weren't there for any good. And when I swore I'd get even with you, if it took a hundred years, your father had me jailed uh, as a vagrant. Did you think I'd forget? The injured blood ain't in me for nothing. Oh, this is going real south. And now I've got you. And you gotta settle. You know? He was threatening the... Oh, there you are now. Yeah, what'd you do? Oh, we're gonna get up on the table now? 
I hate everything about you. No, don't go up there. <laughs> Stop. You're done. Don't go up there. Uh, do you think I forget? The engine blood ain't me for nothing, which is, okay, again, horrible. And now I've got you, and you've got to settle. You know, he was threatening the doctor with his fist in his face by this time. The doctor struck out suddenly and stretched the ruffian on the ground. Potter dropped his knife and exclaimed, uh, Here now, uh, don't you hit my pard. <laughs> my, my partner, my pard. And the next moment he had grappled with the doctor, and the two were struggling with the might and main, trampling the grass and tearing the ground with their, with their heels. Injun Joe sprang to his feet. Injun Joe sprang to his feet, his eyes flaming with passion, snatched up Potter's knife and went creeping, cat-like and stooping. Round and round about the combatants, seeking for an opportunity. All at once, the doctor flung himself free, seized the heavy headboard of Williams and grave, and felled the potter to the earth with it. And in the same instant, the half-breed saw his chance and drove the knife to the hilt of the young man's breast. Aha! And reeled and fell partly upon the potter, flooding him with his blood. <laughs> And in the same moment, the clouds blotted out the dreadful spectacle, and the two frightened boys went speeding away in the dark. Presently, when the moon emerged again, Injun Joe was standing over the two forms, contemplating them. The doctor murmured inarticulately, gave a long gasp or two, and was still. The half-breed muttered, That score is settled, damn you. Then he robbed the body, after which uh, he put the fatal knife in Potter's open right hand, and he sat down dismantled coffin. Three, four, five minutes passed, and the Potter began to stir and moan. His hand closed upon the knife. He raised it, glanced at it, and let it fall with a shudder. Then he sat up, pushing the body from him, and gazed at it, then around him confusedly, and he met, uh, his eyes met Joe's. Lord, uh, how is this, Joe? he asked. That's a dirty business, said Joe without moving. What'd you do it for? I? I never done it. Well, look here, what kind of talk won't wash? Potter trembled and grew white. I thought I got sober. I had no business to drink tonight. It's, it's in my head, yet worse than when we started here. I'm all in a muddle and can't recollect anything of it, hardly. Tell me, Joe, honest. Now, old feller, did I do it? Joe, I never meant to. Pawn my soul and honor, I never meant to, Joe. Tell me how it was, Joe. Oh, it's awful. And him so young and promising. Uh, why, you two was scuffling. And he fetched you one with the headboard and you fell flat. Uh, then you come up, all reeling and staggering like, and snatched the knife and jammed it into him, just as he fetched you another awful clip and... And you were laid as dead as a wedge till now. Oh, I didn't know what I was a doing. I wish I may die this minute if I did. It was all on account of the whiskey and the excitement, I reckon. I never used a, a weepin, W-E-E-P-O-N, in my life before, Joe. I've fought, but never with weepins. <laughs> Again. <laughs> They'll all say that, Joe. Don't tell. Say you won't tell, Joe. That's a good fella. I always liked you, Joe, and uh, stood up for you, too. Don't you remember? Uh, you won't tell, will you, Joe? And the poor creature dropped to his knees before the stolid murderer and clasped his appealing hands. Uh, 
No, you've always been fair and square with me, Muff. Muff Potter, his first name is Muff. And I won't go back on you. There now, that's a fair as a man can say. Oh, Joe, you're an angel. I'll bless you for the longest day I live. And Potter began to cry. Come now, that's enough of that. This ain't any time for blubbering. Uh, You be off yonder way and I'll go this. Uh, Move now and don't leave any tracks behind you. Potter started on a trot. (laughs) That quickly increased to a run. The the half-breed stood looking after him. He muttered, If he's as much stunned with the lick and fuddled with the rum as had the the look of being, he won't think of the knife till he's gone far. He'll be afraid to come back after it. Uh, to such a place by himself. Chicken heart, exclamation point. Two or three minutes later, the murdered man, the blanketed corpse, the lidless coffin, and the open grave were under no inspection but the moons. The stillness was complete again, too. Well, that was chapter nine, so on to chapter ten! The two boys flew on and on toward the village, speechless with horror. Oh, they glanced backward over their shoulders from time to time, apprehensively, as if they feared they might be followed. Every stump that started up their path seemed a man and an enemy, and made them catch their breath as they sped by some outlying cottages that lay near the village, and the barking of the aroused watchdogs seemed to give wings to their feet. Eh, if only we can... Get to the old tannery before we break down, whispered Tom in short catches between breaths. I can't stand it much longer. Huckleberry's hard pantings uh, were his only reply, and the boys fixed their eyes on their goal of their hopes and bent to the work to win it. They gained steadily on it, and at last, breast to breast, they burst through the open door and fell grateful and exhausted into the sheltering shadows beyond. By and by, their pulses slowed down, and Tom whispered, Eh, eh, Huckleberry, what do you reckon will come of this? Uh, If Dr. Robinson dies, I reckon hanging will come of it. Uh, Do you, though? Why, I know it, Tom. Tom thought a while, then he said, Who'll you tell? We? Uh, What are you talking about? Suppose something happened, and Injun Joe didn't hang. Why, he'd kill us, or some time or another, just as dead as sure as we're laying here. Uh, that's just what I was thinking to myself, Huck. Ah, if anybody tells, let Muff Potter do it. Oh, good old Muff. If he's fool enough, he'll generally drunk enough. Tom said nothing, went on thinking. Presently, he whispered, Uh, Huck, Muff Potter don't know it. How can he tell? Uh, what's the reason he don't know it? Uh, because he just got that whack when Injun Joe done it. Do you reckon he could see anything? Do you reckon he'd known anything? Uh, by hokey, that's so, Tom. And besides, look a here. <laughs> look dash a uh, dash here. Maybe that whack done for him. No, taint likely, Tom. He had liquor in him. I could see that. Besides, he always has. Well, when Pap's full, you might take a belt him over the head with a church and, and you can phase him. He says so, his own self. So it's the same with Muff Potter, of course. But if a man was dead sober, I reckon maybe that white might, uh, that whack might fetch him. 
I don't know. After another reflective silence, Tom said, Hockey? Hmm. You sure you can keep Mom? Tom, we got to keep Mom. You know that. That engine devil uh, wouldn't make any more of drowning us than a couple of cats. If he's the squeak, how about this? Uh, they didn't hang him. Now, look a here, Tom. Let's take and swear to one another. Uh, that's what we gotta do. Swear to keep Mum. Well, I'm agreed. Ah, it's the best thing. Would you just hold hands and swear that we... Oh, no. That wouldn't do for this. That's good enough for little rubbishy common things. Especially with gals, ah, cause they go back on you anyway. And blab if they get in a huff. <laughs> but there, order, order, not otter, O-R-T-E-R, be writing about a thing like this in blood. Tom's whole being applauded this idea. It was deep, oh, and dark and awful. The hour, the circumstances, the surroundings were in keeping with it. He picked up a clean pine shingle and lay it in the moonlight. Took a little fragment of, quote, red keel, unquote, out of his pocket and got the moon on his work and painfully scrawled these lines, emphasizing each slow down stroke by clamping his tongue between his teeth and letting up his uh, uh, pressure of uh, the upstrokes. Then it says in parentheses, see next page. That's weird. Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer swears they will keep mum about this, and they wish they might drop down dead in their tracks if they ever tell and rot. Huckleberry was filled with admiration of Tom's felicity in writing and the sublimity of his language. He at once took a pin from his lapel and was going to prick his flesh, but Tom said, Oh, hold on, uh, don't do that. A pin's brass. It might have a verdigris, verdigrassi, verdigris on it. Well, let's look up that word. Verdigris is the common name for a green pigment obtained through the application of acidic uh, acid to copper plates or the natural patina formed on copper. All right, so they don't want to get uh, infected. Oh, well, he's answering my question. What is verdigris? It's poison. That's what it is. You just swallow some of it once and you'll see. So Tom unwound the thread from one of his needles, and each boy pricked the ball of his thumb, squeezed out a drop of blood. In time, after many squeezes, Tom managed to sign his initials, using the ball of his little finger for a pen. Then he showed Huckleberry how to make an H and an F. And the oath was complete. They buried the shingle close to the wall with some dismal ceremonies and incantations, and the fetters that bound their tongues were considered to be locked and the key thrown away. Uh, a figure crept stealthily through a break in the other end of the ruined building now, but they did not notice it. Tom, whispered Huckleberry, does this keep us from ever telling always? Oh, of course it does. It doesn't make any difference what happens. We gotta keep mum. We dropped down dead. Uh, don't you know it? Uh, yes, I reckon so. They continued to whisper for some little time. Presently, a dog set up a long, luxurious howl just outside. Within ten feet of them, the boys clasped each other suddenly in an agony of fright. Uh, which of us does he mean? Uh, gasped Huckleberry. Oh, I don't know. Peep through the crack. Quick. Uh, no, you, Tom. I can't. You do it, Huck. Please, Tom. Uh, there tis again. 
Oh, Lordy, I'm thankful, whispered Tom. I know his voice. It's Bull Harbinson. Oh, well, there's an asterisk, and then there is a parenthesis. What's going on with this chapter? Well, the parenthesis says, uh, If Mr. Harbison owned a slave named Bull, Tom would have spoken of him as Harbison Bull. But a son or a dog of that name was Bull Harbison. Jesus Christ. Oh, that's good. I'll tell you, Tom. I was most scared to death. I bet anything it was a stray dog. The dog howled again. The boy's heart sank once more. Oh, my! That ain't no Bull Harbison, whispered Huckleberry. Do, Tom. Tom, quaking with fear, yielded and put his eye to the crack. His whisper was audibly uh, uh, when he said, Ah, Huck, that's a stray dog. Quick, Tom, quick. Who does he mean? Huck, he must mean us both. We're right together. Oh, Tom, I reckon we're goners. I reckon there ain't no mistake about where I'll go. I've been so wicked. Uh, Dad, fetch it. This, Dad, fetch it. This comes of playing hooky and doing everything a feller's told not to do. I might have been good, like Sid, if I tried, but no, I wouldn't, of course. But if I ever get off this time, I'll lay and I'll, I'll waller in Sunday schools. And Tom began to snuffle a little. You bad, said Huckleberry, began to snuffle too. Count sound it, Tom Sawyer. You're just old pie, long side o' what I am. Oh, lordy, 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 I wish it I had half your chance. Tom choked off and whispered. Yeah, look, Hucky, uh, he's got his back to us. Hucky looked with joy in his heart. Well, he has by jingos. Yeah, did he before? Ah, yes, he did, but I, like a fool, never thought. Oh, this is bully, you know, now, who can he mean? Oh, the howling stopped. Tom pricked up his ears. Shh. What's that, he whispered. That sounds like, like hogs grunting. No, it's somebody snoring. Tom, that is it. Whereabouts is it, Huck? I believe it's down at Tother End. Sounds so anyways. Pap used to sleep there sometimes, along with the hogs. He, uh, he laws, bless you. He just lifts things when he snores. Besides, I reckon he ain't ever coming back to this town anymore. Ah, the spirit of adventure rose in the boy's soul once more. Hucky, do as you dast to go if I lead. I don't uh, like to much, Tom. Suppose it's Injun Joe. Tom qualified, but presently the temptation rose up strong again, and the boys agreed to try it, with the understanding that they would take to their heels if the snoring stopped. So they went tiptoe, stealthily down, and one behind the other. When they had got within five feet of the snorer, Tom stepped on a stick, and it broke with a sharp snap. Oh, the man moaned, writhed a little, and his face came to in the moonlight, and it was Muff Potter. Ah, the boys' hearts had stood still, and then their hopes, too, when the man moved. But their fears passed away now. They tiptoed out through the broken weatherboarding and stopped at a little distance to exchange a parting word. That long, lugarious howl rose on the night air again. They turned and saw the strange dog standing within a few feet of where Potter was lying and facing Potter, with his nose pointing heavenward. Oh, Jiminy, it's him, exclaimed both boys in a breath. Say, Tom, uh, they say a stray dog come howling around Johnny Miller's house about midnight as much as two weeks ago, and a whippoorwill 
come in and lit on the banisters and sunk. The very same evening, there ain't anybody dead there yet. I know that, and I suppose there ain't. Didn't Gracie Miller fall in the kitchen fire and burn herself terribly at the very next Saturday? Uh, Yes, but she ain't dead. And uh, what's more, she's getting better, too. All right, you wait and see. She's She's a goner. Just as dead, sure, as Muff Potter's a goner. That's what the... Oh, Lord, there it is. There's the N-word. That's what the N-words say. (laughs) Oh, that just hits you in the face when you read it. And they know all about these kinds of things. Huck. Oh, so that's Tom saying it. That's depressing. Then they separated, conjugating. When Tom crept in his bedroom window, the night was almost spent. He undressed with excessive caution and fell asleep, congratulating himself that nobody knew of his escapade. He was not aware that the gently snoring Sid was awake and had been so for about an hour. When Tom awoke, Sid was dressed and gone. There was a late look in the light, a late sense in the atmosphere. He was startled. Why had he not been called persecuted till he was up as usual? The thought filled him with bodings. Within five minutes, he was dressed and downstairs, feeling sore and drowsy. The family were still at the table, and they were finished breakfast. There was no voice of rebuke, but there were averted eyes. There was a silence and an air of solemnity that struck a chill to the culprit's heart. He sat down and tried to seem uh, uh, gay, but it was uphill work. It roused no smile, no, re- no response. He lapped into silence and let his heart sink down to the depths. After breakfast, his aunt took him aside, and Tom almost brightened in the hope that he was going to be flogged. But it was not so. His aunt wept over him and asked him how he could go and break her old heart so, and finally told him to go on and ruin himself and bring her gray hairs with sorrow to the grave, for it was no use for her to try any more. This was worse than a thousand whippings, and Tom's heart was sore now than his body. How oh, he cried. He pleaded for forgiveness and promised to reform over and over again and then received his dismissal, feeling that he had won but an imperfect forgiveness and established but a feeble confidence. I left the presence too miserable to even feel revengeful towards Sid, and so the latter's prompt retreat through the back gate was unnecessary. He moped to school gloomily and sad and took his flogging, along with Joe Harper for playing hooky the day before. With the air of one whose heart was busy with the heavier woes and holy dead of two trifles, then he betook himself to his seat, rested his elbows on the desk and his jaws in his hands, and stared at the wall with the stony stare of suffering that had reached the limit and can no longer go. His elbow uh, was pressing against some hard substance. After a long time, he slowly and sadly changed his position and took up the object with a sigh. It was in a paper. He unrolled it. A long, lingering, colossal sigh followed, and his heart broke. It was his brass Andrian knob. The final feather broke the camel's back.
Well, what did we learn here today? We learned that uh, Samuel Langhorn Clemens, uh, also known as Mark Twain, his writing is uh, good. Oh, it's good writing. Ah, oh, you can imagine everything he's talking about. You're sucked into the world that he's created. And I can see why everyone loves this novel so much. Because it creates this cute little world in southern America with the hot days, bright sunlight, the you know, evenings with crickets and uh, snoring aunts. But it's also got a lot of uh, questionable racial stuff, which uh, is kind of uh, annoying. Uh, Injun Joe, ugh. I hate saying it. Uh, that's pretty uh, pretty annoying. Um, of course, he's a calculated murderer. Uh, then you got Muff, who uh, is just kind of a dumb, drunk white guy who is going to get used by Engine Joe for murder. Then the boys are racing along and they are hiding. And um, what's kind of questionable for me is how did Muff beat them to? Because I thought the kids ran before Muff gave his big speech to Injun Joe. Saying, uh, did I do this? Did I really murder this man? And Injun Joe's like, oh yeah, you did, but I'll keep it secret. Don't worry. So the kids already ran before that conversation started. I thought, unless I'm getting this all messed up. And uh, as the kids are running, they see Muff already sleeping out in a field ahead of them. So apparently Muff using his ability, his 5K, his history of doing 5Ks, to get ahead of the kids and then fall asleep in a field somewhere, the dogs barking and whatnot. So, eh, that was a little weird. Well, what did we learn from this? From what I said earlier. Uh, well, I got uh, archaeology. I'm going with that. Uh, I dug up stuff underneath the deck of uh, my house, and it was all stuff from the 70s and 80s, which is a lot of fun. A little bit from the 90s, too. Oh, wasn't it cute to find that? Kind of sucks when I had to dig it all up and try and grow grass and everything. I put some grass seed on it. But uh, it's better than digging up a corpse, which is what they did here, and murder. I actually thought to myself, and I'm not even joking about this, at one point, without even reading these stories, I thought... What if I'm digging here and I'm pulling up forks and knives and old toys and God knows what else? Uh, what if I found, like, a femur? Uh, what would I do? Well, I guess I'd call the police for the city I live in, and they'd come out and they'd see the femur and think, okay, well, we got to excavate and we got to find out, you know, any more evidence of the body and uh, any evidence of the murderer somehow within this dirt. I thought about that, then I also thought about how annoying it would be because I want to eventually get grass growing here, and then next summer I plan on building like a little patio. And so, them digging this up could be all the way into the fall. I can't grow uh, grass in the fall, so what the hell am I going to do? So I actually thought about that as I'm sitting there raking and digging and doing all sorts of stuff, which is pretty dumb and selfish of me, which is weird that I feel inconvenienced by an imagined murder that I didn't find any evidence of as I was doing my work. So, I'm better off than uh, Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer, who witnessed a murder uh, by a person with a weirdly racist name. Uh, I guess that's all i got to say about that. Hey, I managed to tie it into the first thing I said in the beginning of the show, so that's a good thing. With that, thanks for listening, and uh, I will see you next week.